John, it's great to talk to you, man. You too, brother. It's been a long fucking time, man. Um, I You're going to have to refresh my memory because I have no idea how long it's been. That's how long it's been. Just that wow. long. <laughs> so actually, actually, I think the last time we talked was, uh, was believe it or not, was before the uh, Unplugged album. So that tells you right there how fucking long it's been. You know, oh, that was that was sometime between the ice age and the birth of Christ. But whatever. Oh, that was. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, I'm 48 now. I think I was 17, you know, maybe or something like that. So, you know, nice. We're nice. aging Good. ourselves now. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're aging yourself, but you just fucking made me feel ancient. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, you know, I, w- I was uh, I was uh, uh, well, you know, a you know, in high is- school when I bought the Scream album. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, wow that's okay crazy it's funny it's so here's the thing i just did another interview before this one and the guy said oh so this is the 30th anniversary of the scream album and i'm like wow yeah okay <laughs> Sorry. i'll be right back i gotta go change my diaper now that's amazing well you know the funny thing is is that you know i've I've been doing a whole like little series on my blog lately um basically i've been kind of talking about a lot of the albums that turned 30 this year and it is you know for someone who you know like i said like i don't i don't consider myself old because i consider age as a number you know like but compared to most like 48 year olds, I'm probably younger, but looking back at wh- how old I was when these albums came out, thir- I'm like, there's no fucking way these albums are 30 years old. Like that can't even be possible. But like, you know, I mean, you're talking like, you know, Dangerous Toys had put out Hellacious Acres, you know, you had, yep. you know, Motorhead put out 1916, Alice Cooper, Hey Stupid, you know, Metal Church. I mean, like, I mean, the list just goes on and on. And then even going into next year, you know, you're talking about, you know, the second tour, tour record. And I'm going, wait, aren't these bands that my dad said probably wouldn't be around in six months? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but True. i mean but there's something to be said about like how some of this stuff sounds dated yeah i mean not some of the stuff i just named but there's a lot of stuff that sounds dated say from like the 80s and 90s where you can put it on and you can go yeah that sounds like that era i'm not quite sure why i like that so much you know but like you know the scream tour tour dangerous ways you know like like those albums are stuff that I listened to. And I feel like that the sound was encapsulated in such a way that there was almost like a classic style of production to them. So that like, when I hear them now, like, I don't think, Oh man, that sounds like 91, you know, to me, I'm like, wow, that sounds like as good as something I could pick up that was produced this year. Well, and I think a lot of it, I mean, I can only, I, you know, well, first of all, Anthony from Tora Tour is a very good friend of mine. And um, I know where his head is at mm-hmm. as far as influences. Right. Uh, he's, he's old school Memphis blues. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So 
I, I, I think, you know, it, it's really weird. There's, there's, you know, I was drawing my, my influences are from the sixties, mm-hmm. seven, all through the seventies. It's, it's weird. Like it wasn't necessarily, um, it wasn't really over the years, you know, with the exception of Zeppelin, who's been out of those records, Eddie Kramer mm-hmm. did all the Hendrix stuff, all the, like a bunch of the Zeppelin, the kiss alive stuff, like humble pie, the Beatles, the stones, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we kind of stayed true to where our influences were. You know, we, we wrote that way. And then we had the guy that produced a lot of that shit come in and help us translate that stuff to, you know, back then vinyl CD, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and I think, the, I think the stuff, I think the stuff that sounds, um, current or still sounds current or relevant is the stuff that really doesn't, there really is no time, time stamp on it. There's like, it's like, I mean, no, my, there's a few songs in the scream album that I would actually like back and I would redo the lyrics because mm-hmm. back then, you know, to a degree I was young and all I wanted to do was write songs about drinking and partying and getting laid. But for the most part, didn't we all, it, <laughs> But I think for the most part, it was like kind of non, I don't want to say nondescript, but there was, it wasn't like I was, I I wasn't writing songs about what was going on on Sunset Boulevard. I was, Mm -hmm. I was writing songs about things that were going on with me or with the world. And Mm -hmm. again, with Motley, same thing. We were looking at things that were happening like, um, you know, when you look at songs like Dropping Like Flies, we were talking about things like AIDS. We were talking about the riots in L.A. And if you look at it now, it's it's relevant now because you could just take that song and move it up 25 years. And now you'd be talking about covid and still, you know, riots about, you know, uh, you know, just just the riots, you know what I mean? In general, Mm -hmm. social issues. Um, So there really is, I don't know, classic stuff. I just think doesn't have a timestamp on it where you go, Oh yeah, he's, you know, whatever. So I I don't know. That's my take. That's my two cents. Next question. (laughs) Cause I have no, (laughs) I have no idea. Actually, I I loved where you were going with it. And actually, speaking of Motley, like if you're cool, I'm just going to talk about them for an hour. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Good talk, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like nice knowing you, Don. <laughs> and actually, of course, you know, we know that that's been flogged like a dead horse. But um, one of the things I did want to thank you before we even got started was like not running like hell when you see something called the Great Southern Brain Fart. Because I can tell you now that I've had more PR people go, I am not going to even like present this interview request to an artist because 
your name is obnoxious of your site to you as an artist. Like I always like to me that, that the first step to me is like when an artist actually accepts an interview request, I go, okay, so they've already looked past like a name to kind of see what's going on. What would you say that that's how you are as a person in general? Like, I mean, cause I feel like as musicians and as rockers, as rock, you know, as a long haired kid all my life, you know, we were judged by our covers, you know? So why would an artist judge a book by its cover? Listen, man, at the end of the day, I get judged all the time, you Mm -hmm. know, not so much until I joined Motley Crue, but let's be real. (laughs) Once I joined Crue, I was immediately compared to Vince. Mm -hmm. I had to deal with that the whole time I was on stage, you know, and it's funny. It's, almost 30 years it's probably well 19 i joined motley in 92 so next year 30 years that i joined the band Mm -hmm. and i was there for four or five so um you know but people are still they won't let it go Mm -hmm. um and it, it it I'm kind of stuck in this thing where I, I kind of get judged. Oh, is John better? Is Vince better? Is John better? Is Vince mm-hmm. better? I, I don't really care. I've never said that I'm better than Vince. I've never said Vince is better than me. Mm-hmm. We're different. That's the thing. I don't like judging people on anything. Mm-hmm. I don't like judging people on the color of their skin. I don't like judging people on their religion, their political viewpoints. I don't, I'm, I'm probably the, the most non-judgmental person. Um, and if you look at my Facebook page, I've never made any political comments. Mm -hmm. I've never, I I just keep it to myself. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't like when people judge other people or judge a book by its cover. Um, I'm actually developing a TV show based on this whole premise. So um, hopefully that'll get picked up and we'll go from there. But it's, it's really kind of sad. Like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I I don't understand that whole concept. Even my guy was like, he's like, you know, Oh, you're doing this thing with a great Southern brain fart. And, you know, uh, hate the name, but you know, Hey, and I'm like, dude, seriously, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really care. Don't care. <laughs> as long as the interview is good. And the idea is, um, the idea is to let the world know that John Karabi's still alive, mm-hmm. still kicking, still putting out new music. I'm still moving forward. And even to a degree, like even this, like, you know, in, in some weird way, I'm making a statement. Somebody just wrote to me a few months back, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to open up the can here mm-hmm. and we fill people in on something they didn't know, but go for it. Exclusive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, for the last, for the last 30 years, I've dyed my hair. Um, but it was funny. I had a fan write to 
breaking news. Breaking news. Karabi Erdite back in the days of Motley. Uh, but I had a fan write me about five months ago. And it was so, it, th- again, I don't understand this. He put a picture of me from like the Scream or Motley. Mm-hmm. And then a recent picture of me like at a show, whatever. I had some gray in my beard. And he just wrote, dude, what happened? I'll give you a minute to think about that. And I was just like, okay, I, I normally wouldn't respond to this, mm-hmm. but let me, let me roll up my sleeves here and respond to this fucking email you just sent me. So I wrote back. I'm like, dude, what happened is 30 fucking years. <laughs> I'm human. We get older. Oh, yeah. So I just said to my wife about five months ago, I go, you know what? I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand. Um, but I said, I'm not. That's it. I'm done. You can trim my hair. You can cut my hair. But I'm not fucking dying it anymore. You know what? I'm 62 years old. I am what I am. I've been doing this for 30 plus 40 fucking years. Mm-hmm. When did it become about when, when did being in the music business become about the color of my beard or, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, that's the other thing. It's like, I, and I said this, I wrote the song dead in Motley about a lot of this shit or not mm-hmm. Motley union. Um, And it was like, when did you become passe because you hit a certain age in the music industry? Or when do radio stations decide to stop playing an artist because, uh, you know, he was he's from the 80s or he's from the 90s. Right. You know, old news. Hold on a minute. Uh, Where are you at? Oh, there you Let go. Me, there oh, you there go. you go. I got a call on the other line. Um, and, and it's it just annoys me. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm not playing middle linebacker for the fucking Falcons or the Chicago Bears. Like, right. I don't, you know, why, why do I have to make sure that my hair is dyed? Or why do I have to make sure, you know, and I'm pretty sure at 62, there's not a lot of, pardon my French, there's not a lot of pussy out there that wants to fucking go to bed. So... Like those days are long gone. You know what I mean? (laughs) We just listened to the fucking song I wrote and, um, you know, critique the song, not the color of my fucking beard or not the clothes that I'm wearing or not the fact that I'm endorsed by depends. Do you know what I mean? Whatever. And it's just, it just annoys the shit out of me. (laughs) Don't get it. I really don't get it. And you know, it's like, Hey, um, Picasso, listen, um, we're going to need you to put that paintbrush down. You're 50 now. So, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's I I don't I don't understand the whole thing with age and art, Mm -mm. whatever it is, poetry, um, you know, poetry, 
music, uh, comedy, whatever. Like, honestly, I think people get better with age. Oh, I, I totally, I totally agree. And what I always thought the ironic thing about this is that, you know, like people, you know, from, you know, like, like I said, like a lot of the bands I listened to in my youth, you know, like, even though image at some point for some bands was kind of tied into what they were doing, a lot of it you know, while there might have been the image, the attitude was very nonconformist, right? So it's almost like, why would you conform in your later years to the way that people think you should look based on how you used to, do you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, you know, it's like when Bruce Dickinson, like, you know, years ago, like cut all his hair off. Right. Everyone was like, oh, my God, Bruce Dickinson cut his hair off. And I was like, well, the guy still sings. The guy can still do what he wants to do, but he does not have to conform to what you think he should be based on what he looked like in 84. Can the guy still write a fucking song? Can the guy still sing? Can he still produce quality music? Because. I'll be honest, won't name any names, but there are artists from the 80s, you know, and maybe even going into the early 90s when I was graduating high school that relied so heavily on an image that even now in their later years, that's all they have because they lacked the artistic substance of anything. So when I hear like your your vote, your voice, like, you know, on the new song, you know, uh, and I know I'm going to say it totally wrong. So I wrote, I'll say it for you. Costi Bella. Okay. Then I was going to say it right then. Okay. I, sometimes I feel like some of these things that have like a, a weird accent to them, but like when I heard that song, my first thought was, you know, being a longtime fan of just bands and music, I was like, okay, that's John Karabi. I knew that voice right away. It's very distinct to me, but then I also heard like, a lot of the influences that over the years, not only have you worn them on your sleeve, but they're, they're, they're pieces of music that I love, you know, about music. So like, you know, like I heard, you know, Beatles, I even heard some kind of like Beatles a la jellyfish, which was a great band from the nineties, you know, um, you know, cause to me, jellyfish was kind of that Beatles queen, bad finger hybrid type thing. So I kind of liked that you took elements of that and then threw in some thin Lizzie, but all this is in one fucking song. And so to me, that is the basis of like, when I, when I heard that song, I didn't go, Oh, that's the guy that used to sing and, you know, in the scream and then was in Motley. And then, you know, it's like, to me, I was like, that's fucking John Karabi, man. And that is a great song. So to me, substance and, and songwriting doesn't know, have an expiration date, no matter well, what it looks like. You know, and and it's 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 funny, you know, and I'm sure people, you know, at some point too, you know, it's funny. Had the internet been around when Van Gogh was painting Starry Night, I'm sure, you know, 10 million fans would have been like, "Hey, dude, just uh, you know, my professional opinion, you're." <laughs> much blue in that photo you know what i mean it is what it is man like this is one of the reasons why i hate award shows Mm -hmm. um 
I couldn't tell you the last time I watched a Oscars, Grammy, um, who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, um, I, to be honest with you, I'm knocking on wood, you know, there's a part of me that would love to be nominated for a Grammy, but I, to be honest with you, I don't even think I'd go. Mm-hmm. If if I was nominated, because it's like, who who is it that says this album is better than that album? Right. Who who is it that says, you know? Again, I've lived. So who has the right to say John Karate is a better singer than Vince Neil, or vice versa? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's we're different um you know for an album like uh, you know any album to be voted oh this is the best album of the year i call bullshit because i guarantee if there's five cat if there's five albums in that category for that one excuse me for that one record that won the other four probably have a shit ton of fans that think that was the record that should have been the record of the year do you know what i mean so it's it's like art poetry comedy music it's all in the like music especially it's all in the ears of the fans mm-hmm. so i don't understand the whole concept of giving somebody an award and saying you have the best album of the year right who 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 said that who judged that you know um, well, that's, I mean, that's, that, that's a funny thing because I was having this conversation with uh, a, another friend of mine, another writer, a fellow music writer, who's a good friend of mine. And her and I were talking about uh, this whole concept about uh, the, about award shows and the Grammys and whatnot. And one of the things that I had told her, I was like, you know, I, I was like, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're being picked for i don't know kickball just because you got picked doesn't make you the better kicker it made you maybe the better looking one or the one that you know that everyone likes a little more but i've never looked at the grammys and thought to myself wow okay i need to go out and buy every one of those records because you know, one of my things that I always like to tell people, like it's kind of my thing, is that, is that, is that to me, some of the best music I listen to is the music that no one's ever heard of. You know, I mean, because that's the thing is that people put so much merit into, okay, so this is what we ca- this is what a bunch of suits sitting in a meeting up in New York and in LA are saying, okay, these albums brought in more money than so-and-so. So we're going to put them on a sheet of paper and then we're going to paper, rock, scissors and see who gets it. Well, you and, know, and, like that's the thing. Let's use, let's use a few bands that we already mentioned as an example. So you were saying earlier, um, you, you mentioned jellyfish. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's sad to me. I'm a huge fan of that band other than Japan. You put jellyfish on concert in America and they'll barely sell out a fucking phone booth. Oh, yeah. But does that make them a bad band? No, 
because they're fucking amazing. There was another band in the 70s that I wasn't really aware of. Richard Fortas turned me on to them. And it's hilarious. A lot of people don't even know about the band, but they were called Big Star. Oh, yeah. Like a power pop band. Yeah. Yes. And if you go and you listen to that band's music, I was like, holy shit. These guys are fucking amazing. They They could not get arrested. And then 20 years after, you know, some of the members OD'd and committed suicide or whatever their Mm -hmm. story was, you go back and you look at it. Then all of a sudden this show, that 70s show comes out. Cheap Trick covers a big star song and makes (laughs) globally famous song. Do you know what I mean? So then you have Jellyfish. You have another band, uh, King's X, I think, to be just a massive band. Why? Now, another one, like, I love Metallica, but to me, a local hometown band for you, that to me is every bit as heavy um, and melodic, and I, I sit there all the time. I, I tell people all the time, another band that should be way bigger than they are is Seven Dust. Mm-hmm. If you look Seven Dust, I mean, yeah, they do good business. But when you look at the numbers that Metallica does in comparison to Seven Dust, you go, why? 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 What make? What is it that makes Metallica that much better than Seven Dust? Don't right. get it. You know what I mean? I, I don't get it. And this is what I've been saying for years is, you know. I, I just did a book recently. It's called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Mm hmm about it it's kind of a lot of it is about this because it's basically the story of my life the term horseshoes and hand grenades was penned by my dad um but it's funny i have been the king of of being at the right place but always at the wrong time (laughs) and There's a thing, there's a thing in there. Like I talk about perseverance in the book. I talk about hard work. I talk about not taking no for an answer, but there's one ingredient in success that nobody likes to talk about or won't talk about. And that is luck. Mm -hmm. It's like having that song where the band fired on all cylinders Then they gave it to the record label and everybody at the label fired on all cylinders. And then the last and final ingredient was something lined up with the universe where all the stars were in line and everything just for some magical reason fell into place for that band or that person. And they just blew up. Another example is Peter Frampton. Mm -hmm. Peter Frampton's statement record was Frampton comes alive, Mm -hmm. which is like what four albums after he even debuted or something like that. Yeah. And, and and here's, this is, this is the thing about luck that record on a fluke, which by the way, was produced by Eddie Kramer. Mm, Uh, Yes. (laughs) um, That record in a nutshell, Peter had a deal and he had done like, two records with a and M he had mm-hmm. left I he did two solo records and was struggling. 
And he wanted out of his deal, but he had a three album deal or four album deal, whatever it was. And he just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do, I'm going to do a live record that fulfills my contract and I'm just going to throw it out there and boom. And they did this record and look history. Like it was just like something happened where that performance, those songs that he had already previously recorded, Mm -hmm. that record just magically connected with everybody at that time that year and it it's i think it's it's still the biggest selling live record of all time mm-hmm. he's 20 million copies of that record who, who saw that coming so luck luck is a huge part of this and for every steven tyler and nikki six and you know robert plant and all these guys myself included for every every guy that's had the opportunity to do a record and do a record deal and travel and be blessed, there's a million guys sitting in a garage somewhere trying to figure out how to get out of their own way. And how do I how do I do what that John Karabi guy's doing? Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, luck or whatever circumstances are just not in their it's not in their cards. And my thing is, I'm still trying to figure out what that song is that's just going to put me over the top to become the household name. Like, how do I become Nikki Six or how do I become Steven Tyler or Mick Jagger or whatever? So it's really all about luck, man. That's a huge part of it. I'm still struggling. I'm still trying. I'm still trying to write music and grow and, and be the best that I can be. But mm-hmm. you know what? It Like I'm hoping it, I'm hoping it doesn't. I'm hoping one of these new songs connects with people to some degree mm-hmm. and elevates me again to the next level, but it may never happen. You know, but all you can do. I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, all you can do is the best you can do. Write the best song, sing it the best you can, play guitar on it the best you can, mm-hmm. and just pray that the stars are lined up when you release it. Well, and that's the thing is that, again, it kind of goes back to what I was, what I said a little earlier about, you know, to me, some of my favorite music, like, like me as a person, as a music lover, some of my favorite music is the music that nobody has ever heard, you know, and. To, in, in my opinion, when I hear these artists, like I could probably name five bands right off the top of my head right now that I that I love so much that play everything from, you know, from hippie rock to psychedelic occult rock that sounds like it could have been Jefferson Airplane. You know what I mean? Like I could name five bands that are out right now that no one's ever heard of. But to me, I look at that and I go, these are some of the best bands around and no one's hearing them, but what sticks with me the most, and maybe this is also because I'm a writer myself is that sometimes the, the the hunt is greater than the catch sometimes. And I feel like that as a writer and as a creative person, whether I'm writing a song or whether I'm writing, you know, essays or working on a new book or whatever is that, 
while I, th- there's a part of me that hopes that, yeah, I would love for tons of people to grasp onto this and do it and get it and maybe become, you know, an, an, the next big rock writer or the next big, you know, folk singer or whatever, you know, but for me to continue to write the best that I can is more important to me than trying to sculpt something that I say, okay, that's going to be it. I'm going to do the next Billie Eilish song. You know, it's like, no, I'm going to do the next Don Delamont song. And if people dig it, then they dig it. But you're right. I mean, it's timing, it's I- luck, it's fate. It's, you know, there's so many things in the cosmos that's wrapped around, you know, <laughs> like what's going to happen. But it's funny too. I think at the end of the day, you have to be true to yourself Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, listen, I could do the same thing. I could sit down and buy, you know, Billy Eilish records and sit down and write songs exactly like that. But I think the audience would see through the bullshit and they would go, Oh, he's just, he's not being true. Like that's mm-hmm. not, you know what I mean? Um, you just, you know, man, you just do what you do and you keep at it. And hopefully You know, my biggest thing is, you know, yeah, I want to be able to, yeah, I'd love nothing more than to go to a fucking Ferrari dealership right now and buy a new Ferrari and drive it a little bit, but (coughs) it, it, it's, it's all good. My thing is, I just want to be happy. I, I just want to, I want to, I want to live my life comfortably. I don't want to stress about getting older and, mm-hmm. you know, being on social security. I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sell out. I want to be true to myself, but I just want to live comfortably. I want to put some money in the bank for my kids and my grandkids. And, and then when I go knock on wood, here's my body of work, do what you will with it. You know what I mean? And, and hopefully you make a living Cause I sure shit didn't, but, um, uh, you know what I mean? I, I yeah. just kind of, I don't, I don't worry about all the bullshit, the trappings. That's mm-hmm. one of the beauties of being in Motley. I did learn a very hard lesson when I was in the band and I saw how my phone was ringing. I was being invited to all the parties. I was, I was the king shit when I was in the band. And then when I was out of the band, it was like I had fucking leprosy. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, which again, like love it or hate it, but I think the universe gave me Motley Crew for a reason. It might sound weird, but my son was diagnosed with diabetes. My mother was diagnosed with cancer and Motley came shortly after, and I was able to take care of my family. I did. I feel a great record with the guys. I had a lot of fun with the guys. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as my mom passed away and my son started feeling better, that's when Vince came back to the band. Again, the universe took care of me. Um, but I also learned lessons in the, in that band. And again, leaving the band and, and seeing how people treated me when I was out to when I was in, I went, Oh, okay. You know what? All of this is just bullshit and a facade. Mm -hmm. Like it could go away like that. 
it could come like that, but it can go away like that as well. So I need to just keep it real. Keep it real, boss. I need to keep it real and just do my thing and live today for today, live tomorrow for tomorrow, mm -hmm. and just keep trudging forward. That sounded like a public service announcement. I apologize, but it is what it is, man. You know, like, I don't worry about shit anymore. Hence the beard. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we're in a race here, man. You know, you got a little bit to catch but, up here. <laughs> listen, you're going a little more biblical. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing more like Sam Elliott from Roadhouse, but whatever. Look, we got Sam Elliott, and then we got uh, you know, Jerry Most, Garcia. So you know, yeah. hey, you know, so we got the two total different spectrums. <laughs> well, you know, one of the, I mean, and and it's so funny because you know, people will knock this, and people will sometimes even kind of like be like, oh man, what a crock of shit or whatever, though. But there is this kind of like a a, a cosmic way of thinking with you and I'll, and I feel the same way because that's how I kind of look at every, a lot of things. And in some ways I feel like maybe uh, just from talking to you now and from just hearing interviews with you and reading, you know, your lyrics and things like that. One of the things I kind of took away also from the whole experience of you between the time you were in Motley and when, when you didn't was that not that it was like, a, I mean, I, I would, I would, would it be safe to say that it was humbling, but at the same time, not so much humbling, but it was more like, okay, it, it just kind of was confirming just a lot of your ideas of what you thought being on a level like that would be and kind of made you be like, yeah, been there, done it. Don't really care and, to do that again. No, it's just, um, you know, it's funny. Like I, I, I've said this in interviews a lot. Um, and, and this is, sorry, I'm making a coffee while I talk to you. Um, Dude, I had to have mine early. <laughs> I think on my fifth cup, but whatever. Um, I'm going to paint my house later with an eyelash. Um, <laughs> um, you know what? It's like, I learned, I told you, I learned a very valuable lesson when I was in Motley. And, and again, it was when I was in, people treated me one way when I was out, completely different. And I mean, everybody across the board, like guitar companies, amp companies, clothing companies, like they were like, you know, you're only as good as your last effort. Oh, you're not in Motley anymore? Like, done stick a fork in him he's done and the thing one of the things that annoys me is how a lot of these fans like somebody more somebody at some point will take excerpts from this interview and run them on blabbermouth or you know whatever these websites are and these fans sit home and they comment and they they make remarks like, again, like I was saying earlier, oh, for a guy that doesn't guy that got, doesn't want to talk about Motley, he sure talks about Motley a lot. Bottom line of it is, is I get asked questions and I answer them. Mm -hmm. That's it. 
Um, do I think about Motley? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if there's something relevant that I want to say to you in a conversation, or if you ask me a question about Motley, mm-hmm. I'm an open book. I got nothing to hide. I'm proud of everything that I did. Mm-hmm. And I learned something from every band that I was in. Right. So I consider that a win. And if somebody wants to slag me or knock me for it, fuck off. Go ahead. Have your take. Take your shot. There's anybody can say to me that hasn't already been said. Um, And I I just kind of look at life like a car. Mm -hmm. I know this is going to sound weird. But if you get in a car and you put the key in and you start that car and you're driving forward but you're looking in the rear view mirror the whole time you're driving, you're going to hit something Mm -hmm. and you're going to. So I'm like, yeah, dude, check the rear view mirror every now and then you can look back briefly, but move forward, man. And and that's, that's my thing. Whether people want to believe me or not, I really don't give a shit. Again, I'm happy. I'm writing music. I've got a great wife. I've got great kids, great grandkids. I'm, I'm fucking happy. So I don't really give a shit what anybody thinks of me or, or whether they approve or disapprove of what I'm doing. It, it's irrelevant to me. Irrelevant. And that's the, and that's the thing is that like, you, you know, of course, you know, like earlier, you know, I was, we uh, jokingly said like, Oh, I'm going to ask you about an hour's worth of Molly crew questions. And of course that was a joke. But one of the things that you said, which I, I love is that, it's not so much about being asked about a topic. It's the, uh, like, what's the word? I mean, it, it it's, it's the degree of what's being asked, you know, like if you're looking for something and you're trying to fish for that soundbite or you're trying to just, you know, ask the same question for the hundredth time, like that's one thing, but the thing is, is exactly what you said is that I don't feel like you talk a lot about it in the sense that I'm like, Oh dude, you've got to let it go. You talk about it because it's a part of your journey. It's a part of your history and it's a necessary part of it. So depending on how you're, you're talking, the context of how it's being asked about or the context of what, like, like, again, like I'll be honest like, and, and, and this is probably why I'm not a huge blog because I say shit that people don't like to hear, but I couldn't give a rat's ass about Motley Crue. I fucking don't like Motley Crue. I did when I was 12. I don't in my forties, you know? So like, I'm not going to ask about stuff that doesn't interest me, but it interests me to hear you talk about it as a part of your journey because- I don't must be upset if I don't must be upset if you uh, or, or disappointed if you didn't, because there's also like this plethora of artists and and you pro- and I I probably could name some and I'm sure you know some just off being a music fanatic you are, is that there's artists that like when you hear them talk you go, why are you omitting this part of your story? Because it it, it was a part of you like why are you omitting this? You know, Black Sabbath is a good example. They had a, a singer named Tony Martin who was fucking incredible. Probably my third favorite Sabbath singer behind Ozzy and Dio. That chapter of the Black Sabbath story is completely erased. It's not on digital media. 
it's was like talked about in like two pages of Iomi's biography, but why that was a part of your history. Embrace that. Talk about it. Share it with the people. It's part of the story. Although I really wish Motley would have kept me out of the movie, the dirt, but whatever. So Keep do talking. I. <laughs> and what a shitty actor. <laughs> My, my, my first thought was actually, to be honest, I was, I was actually happy that you had such a small spot in it because I was like, good on John, man. They, people didn't even remember you as in it. That's fucking fantastic, man. And even even that was 28 seconds too long. Anyway. I can love it, dude. Well, so speaking of the new song, uh, and obviously I don't, I, I feel like I could talk to you forever, man. You're like a, you're like a, you know, weird brother. Oh, you know, like it's awesome. Um, but what about this new song, man? Like one of the things I did read, if, read from you is that, um, you know, with the release of the song, which again, I told you, I love it. Um, you're talking about releasing like maybe like a new song or so every few months or so. That kind of seems to be something that bands have been doing, especially over the past decade or so with the increase in streaming media. Um, I think that's a really smart thing to do, but what was your reasoning behind doing it that way as opposed to just, I mean, I kind of know, but I want to hear from you, like why you would do that. You know, it's, it's funny because it was Marty Frederick that actually, you know, was the catalyst for it. He, you know, at the time I was signed with, uh, you know, this next record I do would have been the third album. I had a three album thing with this company called Rat Pack. Yes. And, yeah. You know, we, it, the COVID thing really sent everybody into a tailspin, mm-hmm. but Marty and I had started working on a record when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to be honest with you, I was sitting here and I was kind of, kind of pissed at myself mm-hmm. and like, cause I, I couldn't, I'm like sitting there going, yeah, fuck, like I, I'm okay, dude. Like, you know, I'll wear a mask. Like, I, you know, Marty was under a rock. I was kind of under a rock. I just wanted to get my record done. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about it and I go, wow, you know, it's crazy. Like in this day and age, 90 plus percent of my income comes from touring right. and I can't do. That. So I was like, oh, so I, I no sooner said it to my wife. I was sitting there going, man, I could kick myself in the ass. All these records I've done. I never once sat behind the board and said, okay, so I want this George Harrison rotary tone, or I want this, uh, you know, Jimmy Page tone. How do you get it? Mm-hmm. You know, what are you doing? How are you making it? Like all the shit. I no sooner said that than this ad popped up on my Instagram page, like learn to use Pro Tools. <clears throat> so I, I made the call. Mm-hmm. And because it was COVID, They were doing like this way discounted thing and, but it was all zoom classes. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I think I'm going to do it. 
So I went out, I bought a laptop, an interface, I downloaded the Pro Tools shit, I paid for all the plugins, mm-hmm. and then I got online and I took the class. I paid them for the classes and I learned how to do this in a really, and I'm still a beginner at it. I'm, I'm crude with it. But um, I sat down and I started recording. Now it came time for Marty and I, I went down, I live in Nashville. Marty's in between Nashville and Florida. He goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I went down to Marty's house to pick up where we left off. And we were sitting there and I'm like, man, I got to get this record done. I got to get this record done. You know, the record labels calling me, asking me where the record is. And, and Marty said, why are you doing a record? And I was like, uh, is this a trick question or because <laughs> uh, that's what I do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we we sat, we talked about it. And he said he said, he goes, dude, there's no more virgin records, there's no more tower records. There's like even the mom and pop record stores are few and far between. Mm-hmm. The little independent r- record stores where we would go and buy our shit. Right. He goes, if you, he goes, really sit down and think about it. He goes, in the last 10 years, where have you sold the majority of records? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, either on my personal website, Amazon, mm-hmm. or at my shows. Yep. He goes, okay. Now, he goes, those last records, like my unplugged record and my 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 uh, live ninety four album, live ninety four one, yeah, yeah. How much radio airplay did you get? And I go, none. He goes, okay, so take that off the board. You know, there is no MTV. Take that off the board. Mm-hmm. And he, so he was the one. He was like, here's what you do: you open up a YouTube channel. You get your social media all set up. He goes, you do a song, you do a video and you put it out there and you promote the shit out of it. And then about two months later, drop another single, another video and you promote the shit out of it. And he said, do that for two, three, four, five songs while you're taking your time, you're getting your record together and you're really making sure that when somebody purchases your record, on Amazon or at your show or on your website that it's 10 stellar songs, mm-hmm. not three good ones and eh, eight or seven of uh, they're okay. Do you know right. what I mean? Just develop yourself. But he goes, if you do it this way, you're, you're promoting each song on its own. You're letting people know that you're still alive. You're letting people know that you're still being creative. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the way these kids are doing it nowadays. And the whole streaming thing, I don't understand it at all. But the way he explained <laughs> it, he was like, you're not going to get radio. Your your radio now is streaming services. Yes. Yeah. And that's how you develop your thing. So, dude, to be honest with you, I'm not really blind. Um. <laughs> I'm not really blind, but I'm totally a blind man in a closet trying to find the door. I don't, I don't understand a lot of this shit because 
again, I'm 62 years old. I was, I came into the music industry when people got record deals and went into the studio with the Eddie Kramers or Bob rocks and, you know, and then they put a record out and it was instant gratification. You knew week one, Oh shit, we sold, you know, 80,000 records this week. Awesome. It's a whole different world now. You know what I mean? I'm just doing what I do, trying to figure it out. And I'm trying to move forward the best of my ability. Um, is this the right way to do things? Who the fuck knows? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Well, you but know, it's, and that's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, after Marty said what he said, I went back mm -hmm. and I started looking at things and comments like I'm sure you're aware. You know, Gene Simmons a few years ago said, you know, rock's dead. Of course, Gene dead. said that. No, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like I did tours with him and I would sit there in the audience with the dead daisies and I would go how the fuck can he say that rock is dead it's completely sold out here tonight mm -hmm. what he was talking about was the fans are still there but we're not getting radio now even bands like kiss Radio is more apt to play their old shit than their new shit. Right. There is no MTV. Mm -mm. And to be honest with you, what I'm talking to you on right now, my phone is actually a computer that we keep in our back pocket. And what oh, yeah. he was that most fans don't buy records anymore. What they do is like my wife, who's a huge Iron Maiden fan. Tell your wife, hey. Now, <laughs> in all actuality, what she'll do is she'll read like, oh, Iron Maiden's got a new record out or Justin Timberlake's got a new record out mm -hmm. or whoever. So she'll go on Apple Tunes and she'll type in Justin Timberlake or Kiss or Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. And then they give you the whole album in like little 40 second, one minute snippets. And she'll listen to each one and, and make that quick judgment. Nah, I don't really like that one. I like this one, though. I'm going to download that one. I'm going to download that one. I'm going to download that one. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So it's not like the old days where a fan would go to a record store and buy the Scream album. What they're doing now is, is they're listening to the whole Scream album and then making their judgment on what songs they like. So the phone, the phone and iTunes and all these different outlets have changed the way we purchase music. We listen to music. And another example, my wife owns a hair salon. So she'll get up. She'll make sure her phone is Bluetooth to her speakers. And then she'll punch in on Pandora Led Zeppelin radio mm -hmm. and it's dream songs all day long and it's or Beatles radio or right. you know, diamond radio, whatever. And she plays this shit all day long and it mixes it up based on her choice. Mm -hmm. And that's what she listens to. So she pays that $9 or $10 a month for that thing. But 
all those bands that are in those playlists, you know, that's, that's like, you know, Cassie Bella now has been placed in a bunch of different playlists, right. like Teen radio or Beatles radio or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I just hope that I get lumped into a Beatles station and they play my track and they got 25 million listeners on the Beatles radio, whatever. And, and that's, that's, that's your new radio. That's, that's, that's putting the word out there, you know? So it's just a different world, man. It's like, uh, just trying to figure it out, bro. But you know, and it's so funny because one of the things that I, I, I was kind of taking back as you were talking about uh, like streaming and stuff is that like, you know, and you can probably relate to this also, you know, uh, when, when you were a younger dude is that there was, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like part of me is like, I I wish I would have had this, you know, before I bought like so-and-so's album back in the eighties, because if I would have heard the rest of this album, I would have never bought it. But at the same time, it was, it was always kind of like, like Russian roulette, you know, it was exciting. Like I remember hearing, you know, you know, don't change that song, you know, by faster pussycat off the first album. I remember hearing man in the moon off the scream album. I remember hearing, you know, walk in shoes by Tora Tora, you know, scared, dangerous, whatever, but you didn't know what the rest of that album was going to be like. So it was kind of like a risk, but it was like exciting. Cause one of the first things I wanted to do is I wanted to get that album home and bypass the song that I already heard because I wanted to hear what I just paid. Well, of course, you know, now I'm really aging myself eight 99 for the vinyl, you know, like what did I get? That's an exciting thing. And that's something that I feel like generations of kids of music listeners aren't going to get, they're not going to know what that excitement was, you know, of, you know, in the, you know, buy and get your wings by Aerosmith, having only heard, you know, seasons of weather, but then getting the rest of that album and going, fuck, this is, you know what I mean? Like, that's excitement that people won't experience. Well, and now that's the thing. Now people are more apt to just buy the songs that they like. Mm-hmm. So, like Marty was saying, he goes, dude, you know, even when you do your record, when you drop your record, just pull a song in there, do a video. You know, you can keep, you can keep that momentum going. You could do 10 songs, 10 video, you know, 10 videos, but it's just, you know, it's a different way of doing things, but it's funny because if you really go back in history and you look at the bands like the Elvis Presley's, um, even the Beatles in the beginning, they didn't do albums. No singles and then after they did three four five singles they were putting together the rest of the record and they'd do an album and they would put an album out right but it was more about promoting the artist through singles so it's weird even though it's a new way of doing things it's kind of old school but now we're not we're not walking into a radio station with a 45 and an envelope full of cash saying, Hey, play this, you know, now it's about streaming and just, just trying to keep your name out there, grow your numbers, you know, all that, all that shit. You know what I mean? It's, it's, 
it's it's a little old school, but it it still is a new way of doing shit. It's kind of a, it's a very cyclical motion because you know you know we were uh, discussing uh, a couple days ago with a buddy of mine. We're talking about like how it, you know there's the, there's this new wave of younger bands coming out. You know, Dirty Honey, Greta Van Fleet, bands like this who they're they're bringing this style of music to another generation of uh, of you know a younger generation of people but then like people like you and i are probably thinking like if i want to listen to led zeppelin i'm going to listen to zeppelin i'm not going to listen to greta van fleet but if some 15 year old kid has never heard zeppelin and he hears greta van fleet you know that's kind of like that's part of that cyclical motion it's like that what what is old is new again but well, it's I, just a totally different avenue. My my music on my phone, there's really no new musical. I think probably which bands I have on my phone. Um, I mean, there's a couple of new ones, but for the most mm -hmm. part, Seven Dust and, you know, Black Crows. But all my shit is old Grand Funk, Zeppelin, Alice Cooper, David Bowie, Humble Pie, um, you know, I've got just all the classic shit. Listen, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there's no artist. I don't give a shit what they think they're doing. They are not reinventing the wheel. No, they're, they're not. All you're doing is taking your old influences from back wherever, and you're putting your spin on it. Um, like Cassie Bell, for example, when I wrote the song, I said to Marty, here's the tune. We worked on it together. And he said, what are you hearing? And I said, I don't know, dude, something like uh, uh, Penny Lane meets Killer Queen. Yep. <laughs> I got it. it. But like you said, then when we did the guitar solo, it's very thin Lizzie-ish with the harmonies and different mm -hmm. things. So I just took things that I grew up listening to and I just dropped it in there, stirred it up and I threw it out there. Now it's got my voice on it. So maybe it sounds, you know, like John Karabi. I don't know. I'm just drawing from the shit that I drew from, but nobody's doing anything different. Nobody's doing anything original at all. Nothing. Um, nah, man, look, if you do, and if you do it long enough, you you start ripping yourself off. So really you're not even, <laughs> you know, I mean, what I was going to say is, for these young kids that may or may not have heard of Led Zeppelin, they buy the Greta Von Fleet record mm -hmm. and they see the comparisons that guys like you make. Oh man, this band sounds like old Led Zeppelin. Then what, ha what happens is all these new kids go back and they go, Oh, who's this Led Zeppelin band they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Then they go and they hear the original and they go, wow, I fucking love this. And then it's like a whole new generation buys the entire Zeppelin catalog yeah. and keeps going over and over and over again. Um, which is why the Beatles have sold, you know, what, a billion records? Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at, you know, the Beatles and then along comes bands like, you know, Jellyfish in the nine, you know, whatever. There's mm -hmm. bands along. You know, in the 80s, it was enough's enough. And, you know, yeah. that it was whoever, ELO. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? Bad singer just, bands like that, you know, where like it, they had that yeah. melodic. Yeah. Generational bands that went back and said, Oh, I love the Beatles. Boom. And they had that thing. So that's what I think, you know, these fans go, Oh, I love bad finger. Oh, I love ELO. Oh, I love enough's enough. Oh my God. I love jellyfish mm-hmm. or I look, you know what I mean? And then they go back and they look at the originals because everybody compares those bands to the original. Right. And Beatles just continue to sell to every generation over and over and over again. And it's, it, that's the beauty of music. It's also the curse, but it's the beauty of music, but <laughs> it really is. And it's, and, and it, and it's our job as fans of music and like mine in particular, like where I think about like, again, goes back to the whole idea is that, you know, if some of my favorite music is the music that no one's ever heard. Those are the bands and the artists that I'm going to tell my friends, you, you got to check this out. You know, like, I'm not going to tell my buddy, Hey man, you want to check out a stones record? Like, cause there's a good chance he's heard. But if I said, you know, like when, when the unplugged album came out, like I know I had at least three or four of my friends who were like folk singers, you know, which is kind of the genre of music I, I've been playing for the past 20 something years, you know, cause you know, you get into other shit as you get older, like seriously, like legit singer songwriter type folk singer types heard that album. They were just like, this guy's a metal dude. And I was like, well, I mean, he sang in crew. I was like, he had a, he had a band called the scream and they were just like, you know, they love that album because it transcended any kind of a, of a, of, of a genre barrier, you know, that's why I did it mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it inevitably, even, even with this song, Cassie Bella, the new one, people are like, um, not many, but if you are like, oh, wow, dude, fuck, I thought it would be heavier, like the Motley record, or the Scream or Union or Dead Daisies. And, you know, I'm going to pass. Hasn't been many. Now, the other ones are like, oh, what a great song. Not what I would have expected from you, mm-hmm. but a great song. And my thing is, I'm not trying to sweep my history under a rug. I'm not. Again, I'm an open book and I'm proud of everything that I've done. But the reason why I did an acoustic record right out of the gate as my first solo record is because I kind of wanted to erase any parameters or borders. Not so much for that record, but for what I'm doing now. Right. Um, So... And, and, and I tell people this, they, you know, because listen, there was a ton of people that are like, wait, you're going to do an acoustic record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Why are you doing that's career suicide? So yeah, I want it, to, you're an artist. It, it, it might be, but on the flip side, it might also erase everything, not erase, but again, just take get rid of the walls and boxes that I was in. Mm-hmm. And now after the acoustic record, nobody really knows what to expect from me. And now I followed it up with really, um, I don't, I don't really count the live 94 record. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as new original music, 
I came out of the gate with Cassie Bella. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, even my manager and Marty were like, are you sure you want to do that? Yes. A, I love the song. Mm -hmm. And B, it is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. So this is just, this is opening the doors for me to go in any direction I want to go in. And um, I love it, you know, and I've got some stuff, you know, that's, you, you were talking about folk music. I've got a song that my wife actually thinks is probably one of the best songs I've ever written. And it's not, it's not fucking heavy at all. It's not like blazing guitars. It's really kind of a very stripped down at I mean, it does build at times, but it's really just like a song. It's like, uh, it's called Laurel. And it was based on that TV show that I saw called Echoes in the Canyon. Oh on, yeah. Um, about the Laurel Canyon scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. Like you think in the whole song that I'm talking about a girl and in all actuality, I'm talking about all the shit that I, I was born 10 years too late. And I'm just saying, God, man, I would have fucking loved to have been in that whole scene of like oh. um, Mickey Dolan's house on Laurel Canyon to <laughs> John Phillips and then going over to Graham Nash's and jo uh, Joni Mitchell's and just bouncing and smoking some weed and jamming with all these guys. <laughs> I mean, seriously, could you imagine going into a house where it's like Joni Mitchell and like Peter Tork knocks on the door and then David Crosby comes in and smokes all your weed and plays your guitar. And it's like, and then, and then it's like, wait, you got to make an album. You go like, oh, I'm going to call my friends, the Grateful Dead to back me up. Like, yeah, that's a magical time in music, man. You know, and, and that's cool that you are able to capture that. Well, and, and it was weird because, you know, I saw these two things back to back. One was called Echoes in the Canyon mm -hmm. and the other one on Netflix. I think it was a two part series called Laurel. Yes. Or, yes. Or Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon. Yeah. And it was all the same story. But I just sat there and I was like, I was so pissed after I watched those. I went, fuck, man, I was totally born 10 years too late. Like I would have, I would have literally, I would have been that guy that nobody could kick out of their house. Like, fuck, like seriously, <laughs> dude, <Me> too. <laughs> get, get out. And like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I sat there and I wrote, and it was so weird. Like I sat there and I, I watched the movies and then I was like, it was just this magical moment that happened. I grabbed my acoustic guitar and I literally sat down and wrote the song and I wrote the lyrics that night and I played it for Marty. And even he went, I don't get where you're going with this. So I'm like, all right, I had my phone recording. As soon as I started figuring out the Pro Tools thing, I went, you know what? A lot of people don't get where I'm going with this thing. So I recorded the song. I did all the things. There's there's strings on it. There's piano, acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. I did the bass, the guitar solo, like the whole bit. And I sent it to Marty and I go, this is what I'm talking about. And he went, oh, dude, this is fucking awesome. It's great. But it's... It's really kind of a, 
I mean, if I have to put it into a category, it's really kind of like Tom Petty meets folk music. Ah, see, and I love that because one of the things that you had just touched, and I swear to God, I'm going to let you get it. What I loved what you said was something about how like, you know, people were just like, why are you going to do an acoustic album? Why are you going to do this? You know, Da Vinci didn't do 30 Mona Lisa's, right? Like he had a body of work that was significantly different every time he did it, you know? So to me, as, as a fan of music, I would much rather hear versatility and variety than to hear, you know, let it scream 14 times. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, I mean, it could, because I already got let it scream. Let me enjoy that. I want to hear something that you're doing now. I want to hear something different. You know what I mean? And if it, and to me, you embody what I consider an artist that I admire. And that's what I love. Well, and, and, and the thing of it is, I'm not taking anything away from the bands that have a formula and they stick to it. That's right. great. Look at ACDC, who I love. Oh. Okay. Great fucking band. But I was more apt to, I, I grew up listening to um, the bands that I loved and even the Beatles, if you really think about it, in their early career, they, they were a machine. They were just, that was like those two, three minute pop songs. Boom, 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 boom. They sold a gazillion records, but it really wasn't until they met Bob Dylan and smoked a little weed with him that they decided to do rubber soul. Well, cause they were and, very formulaic up into that point. Right. And my favorite part of the Beatles is actually the later part in their career when they started doing rubber soul and mm -hmm. revolver, revolver and yeah. Pepper and the white album and Abbey road where it was like, you really didn't know from song to song what was coming next. That's one of the reasons why I love Queen. Same oh, yeah. Honestly, you know, it's like I love these things like Led Zeppelin, the kings of heavy metal. I'm like, I don't know where you get that. Like, the thing that I loved about Zeppelin is you could hear Misty Mountain Hop. Then the next song was Rock and Roll. And then, then the Battle of Evermore. <laughs> and then, or you would hear you would hear Heartbreaker live, uh -huh. then Trampled Underfoot, then Cashmere, and then the Rain song. Yeah. It was like, what the fuck? Or, or what's that other one they had on, uh, is it Houses of the Holy? Uh, that song, Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica, yeah. Yeah, it, that's reggae, dude. And it's like, it kind of, you know, and it's just, I love those kind of bands that just take these elements and they put it into the pot and they just stir it and it's you they give you a little bit of everything and it keeps you guessing keeps you on your toes you don't know what you're gonna get and i'm i'm a lot of like here's the thing like uh, you know some people may know this may not yeah i love the beatles i love zeppelin i love sabbath <clears throat> but i also like shit like you know, Sinatra. I like Glenn Campbell, um, you know, Neil Diamond. I like good songwriters. I like good singers. Yeah. I like good songs. And 
you know, I, I, I get a kick out of people that are like, oh, yeah, man, I don't, I don't listen to that Justin Timberlake shit or whatever. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you know, hey, to each his own. But I can't sit. I cannot sit and look at a Justin Timberlake show and not go. That motherfucker's talented. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Or, or you look at a guy like you like I respect the shit out of a guy like. Uh, you know, Kid Rock, mm-hmm. Kid Rock, I think, is a fucking genius to a degree. Because I don't know how he did it. And I don't necessarily agree with a lot of his political viewpoints. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that motherfucker came out with a body, 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 bang, baby, whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool little rap thing. Then he was doing rock. And then he did some songs with Cheryl Crow that were actually leaned a little country. Right. And it's like, I, I just sat there. We were at a, I was here in Nashville when Bob Seeger played and Kid Rock came on stage with him. Mm-hmm. I, and I tor- turned to my wife and I go, that motherfucker's got it figured out. He can literally do a rap album with a bunch of rap dudes and it would be awesome. He could do a rock record with a bunch of rock dudes and it would be awesome. He could do a country record with a bunch of country motherfuckers and it would be. <laughs> and then he could sit down and, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do a record with Bob Seeger and a bunch of classic old rock motherfuckers and it would still sell. Oh, yeah. He, I, I love the way that guy has allowed himself to do whatever the fuck he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if it would be believable, John Karabi doing a rap record, but. There's a lot of other genres of music that I would like to stick my fingers in. I could hear you doing a soul record. Yeah. You know what you I know? mean? Like do a soul record, do a blues album. You know what I mean? What? Like, I mean, there's so much that's, that, that's embodied into, you know, you, I mean, you've, you've got the voice, you've got the style. Not a lot of people have that kind of versatility, you know, when they go into yeah, especially if they're coming out of playing heavy music. You know what I mean? Well, like another band, another band too that I really admire is the Black Crows. Mm-hmm. If you look at their history, they're like they did the Otis Redding song. Mm-hmm. You know, they covered that. And then it's like then they kind of went, you know, the Southern Pride Harmony, whatever yeah. their second really had elements of like Almond Brothers, really mm-hmm. kind of like laid-back southern groove and then later on in their career they do something like um uh 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 what the fuck i can't remember what record it was on but you know they had this saying it was like da 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 there's they had this really cool beatles element amorica i think is the one you're talking about Okay, and then they had, and then they did a song called Horsehead, which is oh yeah, to me that's fucking heavier than shit. That's on by your side, yes, absolutely. So they're another band that kind of taps into a lot of different things. They love the folk music, they love southern rock, they love rock. You know, they had that early humble pie faces thing going on. They did that record with, I swear to God, that that. Those live records they did with Jimmy Page, 
it was like they nailed the Zeppelin over the shit. top. It was so good. <laughs> That's all I want to do. I, I just want to be able to do whatever comes in here and comes out here. I just want to be able to put it out there and not have fans scratch their head and go, what? You know, that's it. I just want to, you know, good music's good music. I hate labels. Well, John, I swear to God, I feel like I could talk to you over like the course of like days. I could drink a pot of coffee and talk to you, but I'd love to talk to you too, but I got to go in the house now and rinse this nair off my balls it's starting to burn <laughs> well look so we got the casa bella song that's out on spotify i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna make sure that the, uh, your uh your spotify page your youtube page your website's all linked it's a great song and you are i mean without a doubt you're a rock and roll gentleman and a good human man i really dig talking to you john thank you brother Hopefully we it won't it won't be another eight years before we do it again. Let's make sure that we the, the gap is smaller, okay? Well, I got new music coming out and a book, so we'll hopefully talk again within the year. I love it. And next time you're Atlanta, first rounds on me. All right. That's you know what, dude? My rounds. <laughs> okay, I'll yep. take half the first round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. You might want to down to 25%, but whatever. Well, John, thank you so much for being such a cool guy, man. And uh, congrats on the great song and everything. And good luck with everything going into 2022 and with the book. And we will catch up soon, man. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Spread the word. I will, John. Thank you so much, bud. Thank you, buddy. the past.